My name is Dr. Austin Tay, and you are listening to Psych Chat. Welcome to episode 12 of Site Chat. In today's episode, I'm joined by James Molly Kirk to discuss counterproductive work behavior. Can we assess them using personality traits? I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as usual, if you have any comments or suggestions, please send to sitechat at omnisci.com or tweet to site underscore chat. Today, I'm joined by James Molly Kurt again. Um, hi, James. Austin, hi. Uh, how is life in uh, Malaysia? Fabulous, thank you. In um, sunny Malaysia in a lockdown day, but oh. all is good. Good. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic, a topic that is close to your heart, uh, something that you have... Um, actually researched and, and done a lot of work in, in this area and then in your everyday uh, concerning work, you're also uh, uh, dealing with, with this particular subject. So what exactly is this subject? Everybody must be wondering. Uh, today, we will be talking about counterproductive work behavior. Um, it is a very long phrase. I'm going to use a, uh, the acronym CWB uh, as we talk about it throughout the, the podcast, so it makes it easier. Now, maybe perhaps I could start with a definition. Uh, CWB or counterproductive work behavior uh, refers to the volitional behaviors by employees that have the potential to harm an organization, its members, or both. Uh, this is a definition by Spectre and Fox, 2005. Now, according to them, some of these behaviors include rudeness, sabotage, wasting time, and withholding effort. Uh, CWB has been regarded as a behavior uh, stream, um, as, well as an element of job performance. It's kind of related to uh, you know, when you exhibit CWB, is because of uh, a strain in your behavior or feeling stressed or what have you, and also about uh, related to job performance itself. There's some research that I found um, online about CWB. Now, uh, two things that kind of pop in mind uh, are actually CWB has been found to be a function of both environmental and individual antecedents. Uh, maybe I could just explain a little bit more about the, the environmental link to CWB. Um, there is a theory that's been used by a lot of researchers called the conservation of resources, COR theory, uh, that is linked to CWB. Now, this theory itself is, is a theory of job stress, uh, emphasizes the role of resources in preventing psychological strain outcomes. So basically, if an individual finds that they have uh, limited resources, and instead of uh, depleting the resources themselves, uh, that cause them to have stress, 
they will rather not do so, but they will actually use uh, counterproductive work behavior to compensate for that. Now, the model that's been used so far, as far as I, from in terms of research, is what they call a resource-oriented model, uh, based on the supposition that people strive to retain, protect, and build resources, uh, and that, that and what is threatening them in terms of the potential and actual loss of those valued resources. Uh, CWB may be considered also as a deliberate resource investment strategy used by this uh, type of employees to address the perceived stresses or obtain resources to achieve their own work goals. Now, there's a research I would like to share with you. Um, is by Crystal uh, and colleague. They reported that among employees who have experienced low levels of distributive justice, those who have engaged in production deviance, such as um, deliberately not performing uh, fast on their job or, or incorrectly, and withdrawal, that is leaving work earlier than expected or than allowed, uh, these employees experience less emotional exhaustion than employees who refrained from those behavior. So basically, this research is saying that those who use CWB to kind of curtail their uh, experience of uh, disparative justice, they are able to feel less emotionally strained than those who don't use CWB which is very interesting kind of uh, research. In, in a way, this research seems to kind of suggest, let's all be, be, be naughty and let's, let's go and do some uh, CWB because that could reduce uh, emotional strain at, uh, in, uh, at work. But of course, there's more than that. Um, there's another research that I found, a qualitative investigation by Turnstall uh, and colleague. They, they asked participants to describe an incident where they perform an act of uh, CWB including the preceding situation, their emotions, and the outcome. Now, the respondents who describe performing interpersonal CWB, for example, yelling at or insulting co-workers, reported positive outcomes, that is, um, their productivity were increased, relationship improved, uh, almost as frequently as, as negative uh, outcomes. And then I got the, the uh, numbers here, 34% and 37% respectively. Again, it seems to kind of suggest that CWB uh, is able to help people to, to reduce uh, emotional strain and has positive results. Um, now, together with this, this theory of uh, CR, COR theory, this finding seems to suggest that employees may leverage CWB to conserve resources and reduce exhaustion uh, or to obtain information assistance or other needed resources from co-workers. In other words, CW may be instrumental motivated by desire to achieve work goals or to reduce psychological strain. Surely that seems to be, looking on, on the surface, seems to be all right to be showing CWB uh, because if it helps someone to deal with the strain that they, they suffer or to achieve their goal, that should be all right, isn't it? Really? Um, I don't know. It, it seems like in, in terms of the environmental bit, but of course, you, you have a different view because uh, you, you think that CWB can, is quite connected to personality traits itself. So this is where I pass the mic to you, James, and tell, tell us a little bit more, you know, uh, what's the connection, you know, personality and, and CWB? Uh, is, is, is there a kind of dissonance between what we just heard about environmental? Because environmental theory 
or connection seems to kind of uh, encourage CWB. But in the context of work, personality and CWB, is that a good thing? Uh, I'll definitely come to that that bit. Can I pick up on some of the stuff you were talking about before, which is very interesting, trying to understand um, the explanation for counterproductive work behaviors. Because uh, I think you're quite right. These behaviors like withdrawing of effort, um, sabotaging work productivity, um, even in, intentionally engaging in conflict, interpersonal conflict. Uh, they're, they're, they are the, de- the definition of CWB that you gave was um, it, it adversely impacts the interests of the organization or the people in it. Uh, I'd also say it impacts the individual's performance and happiness. Although, so the first thing to remember is that this is behavior that we don't necessarily want. The organization who employs this person and the, the people who are in their team or being led by them, uh, always leading them, uh, don't want these any of these behaviors because none of them, they're counterproductive by definition. They're against the interests in general across situations and across time. Because, of course, when we give these definitions and models, we're just talking in generalities, not at that particular person in that particular moment of time in that particular context. Those, as you quite rightly uh, are suggesting, that in some cases, in some individuals, you know, being a, a an aggressive person might actually turn out to be in the organization's interests. And the, in the interests of the individual, which I think is what you've stressed by that conservation of resources model, it's the individual themselves who may have certain cognitions or presumptions or otherwise that lead to these behaviors that others generally find to be distasteful or problematic. Uh, but for them, it's actually a good thing. They're functioning sufficiently within their boundaries. And in fact, they may be it's less stressful. I have no problem when I shout at somebody because I'm getting stuff done. I'm feeling that I'm 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 okay. Yep. Uh, or that I'm I'm serving my purpose as a as a leader or a boss or a whatever a shift shift um, supervisor. Um, so they themselves might be very comfortable in that bubble of behavior. Um, it may serve their purposes for whatever reasons, but it's still dysfunctional in general across situations and across time. So it is still counterproductive. That's, I think that's the first thing I just want to sort of bounce off. Yes. In that, because the model is reasonable, I think, as a, an idea that they are managing their, their psychological resources. Uh, but if they're doing so and the results are fundamentally dysfunctional across most cases, uh, then it's a problem. There's no doubt, I think you're absolutely right to, to point out, though, that sometimes these things like CWB, conflict, unhelpfulness, wasting resources, not, maybe not wasting resources, um, can actually produce you know, really good outcomes. Uh, narcissistic you know, CEOs, narcissistic managers, uh, even, even rather antisocial, um, passive-aggressive management can, in some cases, produce good results. Um, it may even be, therefore, desirable in a context. You may even hire for that. Mm. But one should always be aware that there are potential negatives with any extreme behavior that's socially unusual. Um, and so you might get, it may be useful for a time in a context with certain controls, um, but should those parameters change, you may then get something that you no longer want. 
you know, in some ways, in simple ways, you know, you get a wartime leader during the war, and when you get peace, you don't want him anymore or her. Uh, but during the war, they they did their stuff, and that was great. Um, so, so that, yeah, CWB is an interesting. It's a really complex construct because it it is part of the human condition. Frankly, mm. we all. I think there's an article we were reading today. We we shared. You know, these dark sort of behaviors, if you like, they're sometimes termed. It's just part of being human. We've all got them. Um, it's just whether we can control them in the environment that we're in so that we are productive, we're, we are doing what the group needs to be done uh, so that, you know, whether it's productivity or, or just you know, happiness is, is derived from it, something's meaningful. Um, but it's just in general they are they're not things that we want because, of course, the top of the tree, uh, the hill of counterproductive stuff are really bad stuff. I mean, it's the things that you focus on, bullying, which scars people and performance for a long time. Um, or, you know, the classics, white collar crime, fraud, um, theft. This is part of the CWB area that we look at, uh, at workplace. We hire somebody with the intention that, you know, perhaps myopically, great, we'll hire for performance. We forget we have to hire to avoid problem performance as well as good performance and fraud is committed by people that we hire mm. and it damages the organization extraordinarily when you know the senior team or or part of them commit those sorts of, of basic theft but you hire these people it's part of being human um, and we have to come to terms that it's real and mm. i think one of the, the challenges when we're looking now i think what you're doing so helpfully is looking at it's there. It can can be. It's typically seen, obviously, as counterproductive. Therefore, it's not what we want in organisations as we design them today. But it, there are some positives to it as well. Uh, the issue, I think, is that we tend in HR not to look for it. We ignore it. It's an mm. inconvenience. Mm. But the more that we start to look at it, you know, through through folks like yourself coming in through the conduit of bullying exposing the reality of people in organizations um, is we need to start to look at the, the reasons what's causing it how do we measure it yes. how do we how do we even expose it in an organization when it's basically always hidden it's not something anyone's going to be proud of showing unless they mm. are the manager who's barking at people mm. and they can get away with it uh, so yeah i think it's really important that we start to understand the reasons for it try start to look at it clearly to try to understand it and track it mm. and yeah I, I, i'll pass it back before we we, yeah. we move to personality because personality like any behavior um personality is one of the factors behind it yeah i mean it's, it's interesting you're saying that we, we need to recognize that such behavior is um normal especially when in certain contexts where people feel they are threatened or they are disadvantaged, they will exhibit such behaviors. It's, it's like, you know, uh, uh, saving yourself from, from a disaster. This is the thing that I need to do within that context. Uh, does it mean that we, we can now, if we can identify those behaviors, we should be able to kind of uh, categorize them and, and put them in a very nice box, as in this kind of behaviors is, is, is uh, demonstrating this, this kind of behavior is demonstrating that. Because as, as what 
a lot of disorders has been classified using the DSM. Um, disorders are neatly kind of categorized in in boxes. For example, schizophrenia, you know, panic disorder, what have you. Uh, do you think that works in terms of CWB? We could use something like that to uh, label them, categorize them, putting them nicely in a box? It's, it's a really good question because it actually goes back to the uh, original uh, where the research into counterproductive behaviors in organizations came from was, of course, from the clinical side. It started off, you know, obviously we, the clinical psychologists, psychiatrists have ex explored um, personality disorders, behavioral disorders for a long time. They are in the CWB is just just a corollary of that. It's just a, the, the echo of that in the normal population, the functioning population. But in some ways, the definition is the same. We, we, if behavior is, you know, typical ways we can expect someone to, to, to think and feel and, and act um, over time and across situations, then counterproductive, you know, traits are the same. You know, we, it's just ways that people think and feel and act in organizations that produce problematic outcomes that we don't want. It's the same as a, a clinical disorder because the definition is almost the same. It's mm. a dysfunctional, it's a personality disorder or a dysfunction because it doesn't produce the results of effective functioning of that person in the society where they exist. Um, if, if our societies were organized in different ways, perhaps those people who we classify as being having a disorder wouldn't have a disorder because suddenly we tolerate those behaviors and those cognitions. So actually, yeah, the CWB and the way we think about it in personality terms has definitely come from uh, an absolute direct heritage from personality disorders from the DSM, the clinical classifications. Um, of course, the way that we have typically approached uh, personality at work has been influenced strongly by the trait, trait tradition now. Yes. That's definitely there. So that's, you know, big five. Um, personality traits, where we're looking at comparing people's responses to a questionnaire, a standardized tool, um, and it's the comparative uh, expression of those uh, traits that we decide, is this person extreme or normal or, or, or below average or whatever. It's always, trait is comparative. And so we definitely, we've so far are using the same approach in organizations. We don't we're not clinical psychologists, we're organizational psychologists, and we use pretty much the same approach to trying to link the behaviors or the personalities of counterproductive behavior uh, through the, that trait, trait approach. So the TD-12, which is the tool that, that I'm most familiar with, does that. It's 12 traits. The traits are linked to the original sort of personality disorders is where they the considerations are coming from, but then it's adapted to normal working contexts, mm. and we decide what is extreme based upon the population that we're comparing against, um, and then some obviously further validation of what that means um, in in practice. So yeah, traits is the way that we approach this now. We don't categorize; it's simply people can vary on traits, uh, and yet the it is based still in that idea of dysfunction. Mm. Uh, I think it's important because for us who, who deal with personality traits and, and uh, assessments itself, uh, have, having that tool to 
to identify the behaviors and within the context, which is one of the words I used quite a bit earlier on, uh, it has to be within the context and not take it for as as a kind of blanket uh, assessment that finding those traits, that means uh, this person is going to be behaving badly, therefore we're not going to employ this person. And, and I think we have to be very careful when we are assessing or using any tools of that sort uh, to identify, especially in this case of TD12, uh, the, the kind of traits that a lot of HR people or organization would hopefully do not want to actually discover because they are so afraid. How do they deal with people with, with extreme uh, trait score or showing uh, kind of extreme in, in their trait itself? What do they do? And I think that's where the education still needs to come and make people understand that knowing it doesn't mean that is a bad thing because sometimes if you could fit that that the knowledge into the circumstances for the individual in the work that they do, uh, then it might actually become a plus thing rather than a, a negative thing. Like we were discussing before this podcast previously about uh, if someone who is doing a job that requires a lot of risk-taking, and if you find that the person has a, a very high risk-taking uh, trait, which in normal circumstances is a bad thing, and a lot of organizations will steer clear from someone who, who is very, very... Uh, uh, risk-taking. When in the context of the work, if the person is, is, is I don't know, uh, trying to to uh, dismantle a bomb or what have you, that will be very, very important because they need that mental capacity to deal with it and to, to dismantle the, the thing. So I think whatever tool that we use and whatever trait that we find uh, of an individual, it has to be related to the context and people shouldn't be afraid to find out because the more we can find out about individual, especially in the selection process, it does help an organization to pan out the development plan for this individual. Uh, then this, in a way, you are helping the person grow and also uh, get used to them, the style, and especially this time when organization is, is in a very volatile situation, things are changing because where we are today um, in a VUCA world, we need to be adaptable to to uh, look at it the other, way, the other way around, I think. A lot of time when we talk about assessment and selection, it's always how the individual can fit into our culture. I think the other way around is also look at how this person's personality trait I can actually utilize and I can actually uh, kind of leverage to, to help in, in terms of for the organization itself. Uh, so there is a very thin line there, but at the same time, uh, it is important to draw that, to create the awareness, not just to take a, a, a tool of, or, or assessment to uh, on the surface, but understanding why you're doing that and what the result is going to be helpful uh, and not be afraid to, to look at the result and say, you know, it, it is negative, but there is something I can do with it. And I think that is important. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. Um, you if I can pick up a few things that you touched on there, the, obviously the first thing is which we're saying is when we're looking at these dark personality traits, obviously it's often termed as dark traits and derailer traits. Um, the HR um, has typically not looked at these areas because in some ways, even, even organizational psychologists are not that there's not that many people who are very well trained in the area. It's been an area where clinical psychology has been, um, you know, that's where clinical psychologists are, are practicing. Whereas the, the 
one of the first things here to, to build up the insights is to accept this is part of normal personality. Um, it, these are traits that are separate and beyond or related to, but in addition to bright personality traits, if you like the big five, uh, they add more insights into this particular area of personality dysfunction and that we need to get more expertise in the area. And that's the organizational psychologist first, I believe. We have to educate ourselves and then have the tools and the, and the, and the information to take to HR. Because when you take this, these things to HR um, who are focusing on so many things, it's got to be consumable and manageable if it's uh, still steeped in, in, in the dark arts of psychology and is unaccessible or, or feels like it's too sensitive or personal, um, then it's going to be avoided. But it truly is avoided at cost. Uh, the costs of CWB across an organization we've not even talked about, but besides the frauds down to the um, adverse impacts on individuals, you know, forced absenteeism or, or, or turnover because of abusive behavior, uh, sabotage of work process inefficiencies, it, it, who knows? You, I know people have quantified it, but it's the numbers are crazy. Uh, we just don't see it. So it is something that I think we've got to look at. Personality is one of the only ways in to look at it because our traditional ways of trying to understand, predict how people are going to behave in the context we've got for them just will not show up counterproductive tendencies. Uh, the, the CV, I won't declare it. The interview, no way will you get this out of me. Um, even behavioral stuff, you know, I can control for a certain period of time because I know what you're after. Um, normal bright person, normal personality assessments, cognitive assessments will not show you these things at all. So how do we even get a sense that this person may be uh, abusive or uh, dependent, highly avoidant, um, rather eccentric in their cognitions? Um, you know, is, 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 you know, is, is, is to some ways, very antisocial, passive-aggressive mm. in certain contexts. How will we find that out? Well, you probably won't. So the, the, these, these sorts of, of trait-based questionnaires really can give us some insights. Of course, not in every case, but in most cases, they, they give the insight. So it, the, they help reduce the complexity and the sensitivity because it can be measured. Um, but you're absolutely right to point out that when – we still have to know how to interpret the insights that these tools give us, the same as a big five questionnaire uh, report. How do we interpret whether this person is going to be uh, suitable for our context? Will they work well with the people and resources we have uh, and the demands that they're going to be put under? Uh, will they enjoy it? Will the people they work with enjoy being there as well by them too? Uh, but and what are the risks of them doing mm. things we don't want? Mm. So we got to be able to interpret those results carefully and there is some sensitivity there the i think one can it's quite it's pretty easier to to put these things into if you like a development context so let's do this questionnaire let's let's just talk about your derailers your derailer traits with your management team or your hypos or any team and we can expose the tendencies of people to be um you know uncomfortable some of their behaviors so in a development context those sorts of insights and reports are probably easier to consume we can tone down some of the descriptions and the rhetoric uh, and in truth uh, the you know 
the Hogan assessments who led the way on these things do that very well in their dark personality assessment, their HDS. But in some ways, it, uh, it, it, it takes away the bite of the consequences of these actions as it's quite sugar-coated. Mm. Um, people don't necessarily have to take responsibility and the impact, the, the negative consequences of their actions are not necessarily held up as a problem. It's just something to develop mm. uh, that may derail them in the future rather than they're actually bullying people today. They are being passive aggressive and slowing things down. They are making somebody's life a misery. Um, so in, in assessment for selection, because of course we don't want to hire people in the first place who are likely to damage our company. We are the HR is the first line of defense. We have to make sure we get the right talent in. Yes. Um, and if, so I, I think in it's normal human behavior, it is complex. There are routes to see this now through these trait questionnaires that without them is almost impossible other than having an organizational psychologist doing a particular interview in depth, mm. extensive thing. You won't get even a sense of it. Yep. And that to get us to the point where we can use these things well, we need more, more trained psychologists who can lead the way. Mm. We need tools that can, HR can be trained in that gives them confidence to be able to interpret them carefully um, so that even when they're seeing high traits, oh my goodness, this person has an, ex an elevated risk of these sorts of behaviors, it doesn't necessarily scare us, it just makes us curious, but then we can explore with confidence to try to understand, is this real, is this controllable, do I want it? What could we do you know, to get this person's knowledge and skills and, and somehow control these, these potential behaviors in our context? Mm -hmm. I mean, from what you just said, a few few points came to to my mind. It's very interesting because I think as psychologists uh, or organizational psychologists, we are so used to uh, following what has been you know, taught and what has been used before because of validation, because of all the past exper uh, past uh, experiment has been done. So we take that as biblical truth. And at the same time, I think this has given us a, a, a shortfall of uh, our true uh, ability to understand an individual uh, in a well-rounded way because a lot of time mm. when we use personality questionnaire we always you know, very much that we, we use it in the context of the job or the requirement of, of a job we always look at the potential first as required most organizations they want to know whether this person is able to be uh, analytical for uh, performance be, yeah. yeah for performance right and we always take that as yeah, if they have done that, that's it. That's good enough. But we don't dig a bit deeper about the the uh, the traits, as you were saying, and the kind of uh, the darker traits, because that is going to cause a imbalance of the personal uh, the person's personality. Because one can never exhibit all the good thing all the time. Being human, you have both. So as psychologists, we I think one of the things that we all need to do is perhaps relearn what we know about personality and also embrace. There's a cross-functional uh, of discipline here with the clinical psychologists. Mm -hmm. There's other things that we need to, to actually learn because we cannot just treat an individual only on the surface. We need to also understand what's beneath that. And I think I have seen a lot of uh, uh, colleagues in, in organizational psychology, which is actually kind of steering away from the traditional way of approaching 
uh, personality and they are looking into a bit more deeper thinking about uh, what's in, internal what are the the reasons people are behaving certain ways uh, are there other uh, traits or, or, or behavior that they that we don't see using a normal personality questionnaire and I think that is, is important to stress that and especially for those who are learning to become psychologists not to take everything you see as as, as it is discover learn more, ask those questions and compare and contrast you know, what you, you see from, from uh, a, a, uh, an established researcher. There might be flaws in it. There might be actually things that you could question a little bit more. And this is where being inquisitive is very important. And it, it also bears on the fact that we as, as psychologists have a responsibility to upgrade ourselves all the time yes. and not to sit on our laurels and go like, you know, I, I, I know my personality questionnaire and, and that should be it. Whatever I say is is uh, the truth. No, I think there are so many things that's actually evolving in the space. We need to be looking a little bit more deeper, the newer tools, debunk them, you know, dissect them or what have you, and see what is actually out there that's going to be useful for the organization, especially in terms of selecting the right people. When they're able to do that, then they have less of an issue towards the the tenure of the individual person to deal with CWB or other behaviors that they exhibit or they, 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 they are not able to deal with uh, the stress and what have you, or the mental health issue. And I think if we get it right from the start for all organizations to do that um, and as psychologists to assist them, you know, that whole process for an individual working for an organization is going to be much more pleasant than they'll be constantly perhaps trying to fake it to make it kind of concept, you know, the imposter syndrome and what have you. I think that is important to stress. And I, I think to me, um, from what I hear from what you just said, and I think I, I, you probably agree with me that C, CWB is something that's inherent in all of us. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's just the time, the space, the, the situation will kind of ignite that. And if we exhibit that, what do we do? And uh, we need to actually encourage organization or line managers to look at people in entirety, holistically, and not just the surface. We need to learn to dig a bit deeper. We need to train them. And before we could do that, psychologists ourselves, we need to be able to take the step and say, you know what? In order to give people the best of our service, the best of our knowledge, and impart those knowledge to them, we ourselves need to gain that knowledge first before we we, we, we teach people how to do it. So, uh, that is important, uh, I think, as as professional. Uh, it's something that it's something that I I, I think uh, constantly we need to upgrade ourselves. Need to learn a bit more about uh, personality itself. It's not just what you see as it is um, in, in in the market or whatever has we have learned so far. So that that is actually a very interesting point that you you you, you uh, shared earlier on. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd agree. Really, really would. I. Um, some of these are hard truths. I think uh, the point you made about um, the performance paradigm, if you like, that we hire for performance uh, is, is misunderstanding the whole impact that a human provides you when, when they walk in the door. Uh, you, they may have, again, technical knowledge, skills, experiences, and, and, and traits, behavioral competences that suggest they can do this job or have done this sort of task before, that sort of task element of performance. Um, 
And yet we actually hire for them to do a job in a context with certain resources and other people. And we wish to retain them in that environment for a certain amount of time, a minimum amount of time. So we get our return on investment. That's, you know, we don't want to lose you until we've, we've had our three years or our six years or whatever it is we're looking for. Um, so we need to make sure they're going to fit that environment happily. Uh, and and the, the, the third part of that equation is, and what might you bring that you don't really want to tell me about, but we need to know because that's part of who you are. What's the baggage you're going to bring here? And how, if the more we know about that counterproductive risk, uh, we, can, we can sort out ways where we can strengthen the situation to control those things, reduce the likelihood. So if I know in simple terms that you know, if I put you in a room with with red uh, red wallpaper that on Fridays you Friday afternoons you freak out, then I'll I'll change the wallpaper. It's really simple. If if I know that if I put you in a in an environment where you have to speak in a large group, you know, for a week, that in the second week you'll freak out, then I'll curtail that. It's a lot of the situations that we put people in where they'll respond problematically. They can control themselves if they're aware, if I am aware that the manager or whatever, if the context is modified to help mm. them mm. in that way, as you stress the situation mm. is specific, trait activation, situational strength are still relevant. We can control those things, but only if we know they exist, mm. only if it's real. So mm. rather than this one-dimensional view of people, let's let's just check the competencies. We, we've done our competency model. It's a great, you know, based on good job analysis. That's great. What about the engagement factors? What about the counterproductive part of the pie? There are three aspects of an individual we've got to know about. Can they do the job? What's the likelihood they can do the job? What's the likelihood they will enjoy and stay as long as we need them? And what's the risk of problematic behaviors from the CWB? Mm. We have to have that paradigm first and then the knowledge and skills and tools so that we can look at those things positively um, without seeing people as being crazy or mad or problematic, just being human with great talent and potential. But we need to see all the aspects so that we can properly place them mm. for everyone's benefit. Yeah, I think with, with the fact that if you are assessing someone a bit more well-rounded, uh, when you assess for performance, you're not just thinking about this person will stay with me for three years. You want them to stay as long as you can contribute where the opportunity uh, you provide them. Because I think you, you were talking very much also, it's not just uh, employing someone for their capabilities and based on the competency, but it's also how well can you develop this person to an, an individual where they can give more to the organization. Yeah. Because we are seeing a lot of you know turnovers, people people work for one or two years, which which is kind of norm at the moment. People are working for a year and they leave. You know, if we are able to do that, as I said, from the start, uh, people will not want to leave because they know the opportunities are there for them to develop. And you recognize the shortcomings, where, where are the things that they, they, they are showing certain uh, behaviors that you could modify, you can help to curtail and encourage the environment for them to grow. And I think this is perhaps a missing link for a lot of development uh, processes in organization because everybody in organization, they will, go, they will always say, oh, let's do an X program, Y program, a Z program because this is how we develop. 
But if the person inherently has a uh, a trait that does not uh, sit well with a kind of classroom environment for for training, for example, no matter how many classes or uh, modules they go for, the training they go for, they're not going to learn and they're going to feel fatigued. They go, you know what, why am I wasting my time? I'm going to leave the organization. And I think this is a very good um, indication for organization to realize, don't do things piecemeal. Do it in entirety too because treat all your potential employees as an indiv- unique individual. Everybody has different different needs. If you can, within the uh, the resources that you have in an organization, you need to accommodate and do not use a broad stroke for everybody because everybody is so different. Everybody's learning capacity is different. You know, we have to be uh, able to accommodate that. Then you won't have to do things like or wouldn't be feeling anguish when you're doing your employee survey where you get all the low, low scores and what have you and, and, and fret about people leaving. This will be diminished if you get it right the first time. And I think this is such a good thing to remind organization. Please, please assess someone in as, as a wholesome person. They are not you know, uh, fragments of different things. You have to take them into one. Uh, and, and that is very important. And, 100%. And, yeah, 100%, indeed. And, and that, that is really, as, as usual, talking to you always kind of great insight uh, about how we can discover people differently. And your point about CWB being something that's very inherent in all of us, we need to start thinking about how that could actually help us as an organization, how that could help us as a line manager. Uh, and, and at the same time, for individual who has inherent you know, CWB trait, uh, how can they also help themselves within those uh, organization or within the, the situation within the organization itself? And I think that that is something worth thinking about for uh, people who are listening. Uh, if you have any other questions, I'm sure both myself and, and James will be very happy to talk about. And as usual, if, if you guys have any other suggestions or uh, topics that you want us to talk about, uh, I'm using the word we, as you can realize, people listening to it, because James has kind of uh, volunteered to kind of co-host uh, side chat with me uh, in, <laughs> in, in the next few few episodes, I hope, and then more. Um, and let us know so that we could actually uh, put it on as one of the topics that we can talk about. You can easily uh, send an email to me on sitechat at omnisite.com or tweet to site underscore chat uh, on Twitter. So great, James, as usual, thank you for joining me. And I'm sure we will be talking again in the next episode. Thanks very much, Justin. You're most welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to Psych Chat. This podcast is brought to you by Omnicide Consulting. We are a team of psychologists with a wealth of experience in working with individuals, teams and organizations in the areas of coaching, executive selection, assessment and development, career transitioning and workplace intervention. Omnicide Consulting exists to solve the critical issues facing our clients, both large and small. Our approach is to tailor-make each service to meet the requirements of our clients. Our broad range of services and solutions help individuals and organizations to facilitate change, achieve their vision, and optimize 
performance and productivity. For more information about our services, do check us out at www.omnisci.com.